Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Style That Finds Us podcast. We are so excited to have writer, podcaster, and royal expert, Rachel Birchfield, on our podcast today to talk about fashion diplomacy. Rachel's podcast is called Podcast Royal, and she is the editor of What Megan Wore. We frequently talk about the fact that we have so much power, which often goes untapped in what we choose to wear. Public figures throughout history have put so much thought into every detail of their outfit, and they can say a lot without having to speak a word. Remember, fashion is your nonverbal communication to the world of who you are and what you're all about. These public figures really do let the clothes speak for themselves. Thank you, Rachel, for being here. Hello. I'm so happy to be here. Fellow Southerner, always happy to. Yes. To- Not <laughs> only fellow Southerner, but fellow Birminghamian. So right. we are just down the road from one another. I know. So let's start right off. What is fashion diplomacy? So fashion diplomacy is a study and it is in its simplest term, it is when one dresses with a specific cultural or political mission in mind, basically, as you just said, so eloquently, it's dressing to send a message, letting your clothes speak for you. And men, of course, can employ fashion diplomacy as well, but mostly it's employed by women. And it's when women really see fashion as a tool in their arsenal and rein in and capture the power of their clothes. And it's when fashion tells a story. And you mentioned this 93% of communication I read once is nonverbal. This is an example of that. And it extends not just to clothing, but to hats and jewelry as well. And sites like my site, what Megan wore and it's uh, sister site, Kate, what Kate wore make an art form of probably overanalyzing fashion diplomacy. But really, once you are tuned in, you cannot miss the messages that women send. Why implore fashion diplomacy? Great question. So there's a few reasons why the the populations that use it probably the most are first ladies, whether that's U.S. first ladies or international global first ladies, um, members of the royal family, which, as you've mentioned, is is kind of the population that I study the most, and also mm-hmm. um, women in politics, which I'm obviously loving that there is such a thing now where we can look at a Kamala Harris or look at a Nancy Pelosi or Hillary Clinton and see what their clothes are saying. So it is used as a sign of respect. It, as we've mentioned, really conveys voice and speaks for a woman, even when her voice might not be heard. Thinking of the Royal family, pre COVID and pre zoom, we really didn't hear the royal family speak that much, especially the women. We heard them speak through their clothes, especially thinking back to Diana and all the way up to Kate and Megan. When they go to these events, we very rarely hear them speak, but we hear what they're trying to say through their clothes. So Mm -hmm. fashion diplomacy is also a sign of a good relationship between two nations It can be used to send messages of support between countries, send messages of support to a community. And also it can really be an economic booster. Thinking of the Kate Middleton effect, the Meghan Markle effect, how anything Kate wears will 
inevitably sell out, right? And so she mm-hmm. can wear, and she does wear, Kate's whenever she goes on a global tour on a Royal tour abroad, she will often wear designers from that country. And I'm thinking Mm -hmm. right now of her tour in Pakistan in 2019, right before COVID, she wore a small label from Pakistan, sold it out and made that company so profitable. I I can't say for certain that they're millionaires now, but I, I can't imagine that they're not. So she, she and others that employ fashion diplomacy like she does can boost sales to a country's designer and truly change their life. So it's, it's basically diplomacy through fashion and it's not very Mm -hmm. often talked about, but I find it so compelling. It really is. It really is the way you put it. I hadn't really thought about the, I mean, I've thought about the impact on a brand, you know, Jason Wu with Michelle Obama or, or J. Crew with Michelle Obama or things like that. But really the impact on a small country like that is is especially dramatic. That's life-changing for anyone, right? right? But especially a woman in Pakistan to have right. it. So the story, and I'm going to get this brand's name wrong. I think it's called something about stars. I, I'm going to get this name wrong, so I'm not even going to try. But a woman, while Kate was on tour in Pakistan, we you might could put it in the show notes or something, mm-hmm. but she was on tour in Pakistan and handed Kate a necklace with the letters G, C, and L on it, which of course stand for George, Charlotte, and Louie, who are Kate's children. Well, Kate mm-hmm. wore it and it crashed the site. They sold out. And I mean, I can't imagine the economic impact that it did to that individual and to, you know, where, where she's from as well, because that, you know, as you know, fashion is not in a vacuum, you know, you, you have manufacturers and suppliers that are benefited from that. And so the, and Kate um, in particular's effect on fashion, she's been married to William. Now they just celebrated their 10th wedding anniversary. Mm -hmm. Her impact on fashion it's extraordinary. The Kate Middleton effect is very real. Brands sell out, put on the map, lives change forever just by one woman putting on a dress or a necklace or a pair of earrings one day. Mm-hmm. That That is impact and that is power. And, you know, for women that, especially in the royal family, and again, that's a whole other podcast that don't maybe have as much of a voice as we'd want them to, they speak Mm -hmm. so loudly and clearly through their clothes that if you're tuned into what they're saying, they can't miss messages. Right. I think that's so fascinating because fashion is power and it's a tool. And if you know how to use it, you can harness it and really do good with it. Mom created, we have a visual branding workshop it's either can be a webinar or a one-on-one thing and really creating a visual brand so we can take the example of someone like Kate Middleton Royals all of these types of people and normals normal everyday people can yeah. can do well yeah I, I think it's so compelling it really is and Kate is just getting started Yes. I mean, and she, so she's been in the public eye for going on 20 years, but really in the, as an official member of the family for 10. And Mm -hmm. I feel like her fashion within the last two or three years has just gone to like right around the time of that Pakistan tour, which was in 2019, I would say around right after Louie was born in 2018, something happened 
with her fashion where it was elevated. And a lot of people like to say that that's when, of course, Megan married into the family in 2018. And Megan is obviously very fashion forward. She's a former Hollywood actress. So she is coming with an arsenal of her own and so much knowledge about fashion and style. And a lot of people say that that encouraged Kate in a, in a great way, not in a competitive way, but just in a, wow, she's Megan looks great. I want to look great too. And so she elevated her fashion game and she's just been, I mean, Kate, Kate, I, I can't think of a time when Kate has really gotten it wrong. And that no. is kind of remarkable because fashion, it as is- you know, is so easy to have a misstep. But, <laughs> right. but Kate, I mean, Kate just, she's just so, she, she's very attuned into fashion diplomacy. And when you study this, then you just, you really, I mean, she has a great team too. I'm sure that's making sure she doesn't have missteps, but whoever is behind her and in her great decision-making are, are really making for some solid fashion choices. She's, I mean, and again, She's not even 40. She she turns right. 40 in January. She's got so many more years to make impact. And I can't wait to see just what the future holds. I agree. I agree. And I also think that it's very interesting, like you said, the messages that are being sent. So they, I would think that her team wants to make sure that she doesn't look too stodgy or frumpy because they want the monarchy to seem modern but they also want her to be elegant and reserved, but not in a fuddy-duddy way, in an aspirational way. So it is like, it's just so fascinating, isn't it? It's so fascinating. And Kate straddles the line really well between Mm -hmm. being really relatable and Mm -hmm. like approachable fashion. Like she wears skinny jeans. She wears barber jackets. She's had the same pair of, uh, boots that she's worn her her brown high boots uh, Penelope Chavers I think is the brand since I think 2004 and that right. that's relatable I mean I you know I still have clothes that I can wear from 2004 and in that and to think that the future queen of England is doing the same thing that's that's relatable and but yeah. at the same time she can pull out looks that are dazzling and that she can wear to state mm-hmm. dinners with her tiara and just and and wow you and so she is very good at doing both i think so too and you know her mother or grandmother-in-law has always worn barber jackets too you yeah, know it's a very yeah. british thing out there you know as their walks with the dogs and the horses and everything so um and i think something to note about kate is that were Kate married to an investment banker? Mm-hmm. I don't think in leading a private life, mm-hmm. I don't think Kate would be what we call a fashion girl. She's not someone that's inherently right. interested in fashion. Now, Megan is. Megan very yeah. much, like the three of us, loves fashion, loves the study of it. Right. Kate has other interests and other pursuits. Like the queen, she's much more outdoorsy. She's much more tomboyish. Yes. She's she's, she's um, mm-hmm. just, you know, whatever looks good, she'll put, I mean, anything looks good on Kate, let's be honest, but whatever right. looks good, she'll put on and, and not think so much about the brand or, you know, but, but she has tapped into 
the story and the power of clothes and, and what they can do. And she has, so that actually makes me respect Kate even more because this is not something that comes naturally to her. It's not something that when she was 11 years old, she was pouring over British Vogue's probably, I mean, I don't know this for sure, but based right. off of everything right. I know about right. her, she's not pouring over British Vogue as a teenager and, you know, studying Alexander McQueen, but, uh, but, but take Alexander right. McQueen, for example, she wore Sarah Burton for Alexander McQueen, that uh, perfect, like seriously, the best wedding dress of all time, in my opinion, for her right. wedding to Prince William in 2011. Well, of course she wore Alexander McQueen because guess what? That's a British house. And so one of her main jobs is to fly the flag for British fashion. And she does so brilliantly. She really did, especially because Sarah Burton was just coming on the scene, you know, taking yeah. over from him after he died. So I think probably Kate also learned from that what that actually like people can tell you what this is going to do for the brand. But when she actually saw it, yeah. you know, what it did for Sarah Burton and and all of that, I think, you know, it, it, it you know, you, sometimes you can't under, really understand it until you live it. And she understood the power that she has to, like you said, you know, change of designer's life or, you know, a generation of, of style. I mean, it's really, it's, I mean, there's, there's a, there's a great book by Beth Ann Holt called the Duchess of Cambridge, a decade in style. It just came out earlier this year. Great book. And I'm a big reader. So I love to recommend books. And another great book about Royal fashion, by the way, is HRH by Elizabeth Holmes. That really Mm -hmm. touches on fashion diplomacy, from the queen to Diana to Kate to Megan. Mm-hmm. So I recommend both books highly, but in that book by Beth Ann Holt, she says, I mean, she lists the brands that Kate has put on the map right. and Kate is responsible for millions and millions and millions of pounds worth of economic growth in, in the fashion space. And so yeah. for someone that doesn't really quote unquote care about fashion naturally, like where she married to a doctor or to a lawyer and was living out in the countryside of England, she probably would just wear barber jackets and Lululemon for someone that doesn't quote unquote care about fashion. The impact she's been able to have on fashion is extraordinary. Right. And I bet she's learned more about what fashion really is. You yeah. know, I mean, it's she's not had just an inside about- look. You know, it's about supporting brands and supporting what you can do to help all these people simply by what you put on your body, the ripple yeah. effect. And where right, for so maybe an hour. Right, 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 right. And, and change someone's entire life. Right. And both power right there. That's power. I know both of them chose female designers for their wedding gowns. So that is important and interesting. I think a lot about using power for good, you know, when you do have power, Mm -hmm. acknowledging that and then using that as a platform to really think about, okay, we're going to Australia. Let's make sure we're going to support like speaking to the Dion Lee team, you know, after Megan Moore, that designer, Mm -hmm. Every, the website crashes and all of that <laughs> crazy. Yes, yep. yep. <laughs> I did a story for Vanity Fair um, earlier this year about Sensler, which is a Canadian coat brand that Kate wore for the first time in 2016. It's one of the rare brands because Kate and Megan 
are different people. They're different women and they have different aesthetics, right? But Centler mm-hmm. is one of those rare brands where it's like the Venn diagram meets. Kate's worn them. Um, Megan's worn them many times actually. And the just one wearing of Kate of their coat in 2016 completely changed this Canadian fashion house's entire life. And it's never been the same since. And that's five years ago. And thinking of Megan, Megan is especially adept at fashion diplomacy. She, you were talking about her wedding. So her anniversary is coming up on May 19th. She chose Claire Waite Keller for Givenchy. Claire is a British woman. And then of course, Stella McCartney for her reception, that gorgeous halter dress. Mm -hmm. And again, another British woman. And so Megan is not British, but she chose British designers because she was employing fashion diplomacy and, and very much telling a story with her clothes. And, you know, the, the stories told when the Royals and first ladies and, other female diplomats go to different countries and wear the colors of the country's flag in their outfits. Or mm-hmm. um, they, I'm, you know, I'm thinking about the inauguration this past January when there was so much purple. Well, that was mm-hmm. not an accident. I mean, you know, right. Kamala Harris, Michelle Obama, Hillary Clinton, all in purple. That's not an accident. That's, of course, you know, symbolizing the color purple, which is the mixture of the red of the Republican party and the blue of the Democrat party blended for purple. And then when Hillary Clinton wears white or when women in politics wear white, that's again, all an example of dressing with a message. Right. And purple is a color for power and, you know, strength and boldness, you know, it's not like they all chose, you know, beige. Right, right. I mean, everything has a purpose. And, mm-hmm. you know, again, we like what Megan wore, we probably overanalyzed this, but, you know, that's our job is to say, what's the message? And, and they, and they are, there are messages that are sent. And, you know, example, I spoke about Kate and Megan choosing British women for their wedding dresses. Well, that's very much intentional, as is, I, I don't think you'll ever see an American first lady choose a designer for the inauguration that is not an American. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that again is very intentional and um, first ladies do this as well. Dr. Jill Biden at the presidential address a couple of weeks ago, she was in Gabriella Hearst again, which was uh, what she wore for the inauguration. If you'll remember, and the sleeves and top of her outfit were sheer and featured 51 embroidered flowers, which represented the 50 states in Washington, D.C. And of course, Gabriella Hirsch is the designer committed to sustainability, which has become a priority for the Biden administration. So see how it all ties together when you know what to look for. The messages are everywhere. Absolutely. Yeah. The flowers, that story. I, I can't figure out if they took them off of the first piece and put them on the second piece or if, you know, I don't know how, how they, how they, they did were that. Two separate pieces. And also right. so fun Easter egg when it comes to that is that Megan actually did that with her veil. So her veil right. had the, all of the uh, flowers of the Commonwealth that the monarchy serves sewn into them as right. well as California's state flower, because of course, Megan is from California. So when, 
Dr. Biden did that at the inauguration. I said, well, I've seen that before that Megan did that at her at her wedding in that gorgeous veil. And so um, it's just it's it's so fun to watch women tell these stories through fashion. Mm-hmm. It really is. It Can you really tell is. I have a passion for this just a little bit? <laughs> yes. yes, and we do too. We 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 are just so emboldened by it all as well. Yeah. And that yeah. our biggest joys is to help women get to do that for themselves. You know, they Absolutely. can do it too. It doesn't ha- you don't have to be, you know, the first female vice president of the United States. You can do it for yourself too. That's right. Which, you don't have you know, to be a member of the royal family. You don't have to be a first lady. Right? You don't have to be the vice president to do this. You can do this in your everyday life. And I mean, I remember when, um, and I, I never talk about my politics, so I can't believe that I'm saying this on here. Yeah. But um, when I went to vote in November, I wore white and I did that for a very huh? specific reason. And I'm sure you can you know, read between the sure. lines and see what that reason was. But, right. you know, that, that made me feel so empowered. And, um, I walked in there with my head held a little bit higher because I had my white on, uh, but I thought I might be making history today. And right. so you can do this in your everyday life. Everyone can. Absolutely. So I have a question for y'all with, we know that Megan and Kate in terms of brand awareness and sales beyond huge, maybe one of the most powerful women, you know, two of the most powerful in the world to do that. But do y'all think they're trendsetters so much? I don't necessarily think of them as like wearing something. And then all of a sudden everyone is like wearing that certain belt. Am I wrong? Well, I mean, they're, they're all buying what they're wearing. So I guess they're setting a trend, right? Like, like the necklaces that they wear, the dresses that I don't think I see, I see what you're saying. Like, are they breaking fashion, like breaking ground in fashion and like completely harnessing in a new fashion movement with every outfit? No, (laughs) yeah, but you know, they're not, I mean, they're still very much in bounds, right? Like they're not going to take especially Kate, because Megan, you know, is not a working member of the royal family anymore, but especially Kate isn't going to take huge fashion risks that's just going to blow your mind and you're going to say, oh my gosh, that is so (laughs) risque. She's not going to, she's going to stay in bounds, but she, you know, she does do like, you know, her hemlines have, have, gotten i mean she's still modest right but um she'll she'll wear a shorter hemline but she'll put tights under it um i've been noticing that lately she'll um she'll she'll shake it up every now and then i know that like i i was about to say this and then i was like oh my gosh this this sounds ridiculous saying that this is shaking it up but the queen sets the protocol for the family right in terms of fashion and in terms of grooming and all kinds of other things. The queen does not like red nail polish. She thinks it's gaudy. She doesn't like it. And so as a result, the women in the family typically mirror her preferences just out of respect. And so there's a misnomer that there is a rule that there cannot be any colored polish on royal women's fingers and toes. That's not true. There's no rule book that says that. But out of deferential respect, the women often mirror the queen's preferences. Well, um, at a, I think it was at the BAFTA awards a few years back, Kate wore open toed, 
uh, sandals with red polish right. on her feet. And that was just, right. oh my gosh, I can't even believe. And Megan, to an event uh, a couple of years ago, wore, I think, black nail polish. And that was just so groundbreaking, which is kind of sad that that is groundbreaking. But I mean, you know, in their own ways, they they step out and show flares of their personality. So to answer your question, are they going to like totally bust the fashion world wide open and just completely revolutionize fashion. I don't think so, but are they going to show up in trendy clothes that are also elegant, and timeless? Yes. And I, I actually love that. Um, I love that what you see Kate and Megan where we could look at in 20 years and it would still be relevant. Yes. And I, I will say this, when Kate got her engagement ring, you know, that that became a huge trend. So those kinds of things. And I do think modest fashion, the way she can pull it off, people, it gives people permission. Like, I want to look like that. That's what I would aspire to look like. So it's sort of bigger than a trend to me. You know, it's like, for example, Michelle Obama wearing that that um belt and then everybody you know the belt selling out and stuff like that just like the wedding the engagement ring sold out um just like diana's wedding ring or, or everybody wanted to wear diana's dress you know my uh my debutante ball dress was a copy of diana's dress they affect the the dress of a generation at least i mean you know so i had a dress fashioned after diana's wedding dress or a big ball in which I was presented, you know, way back in the, in the eighties. And I showed it to Daria when she was in college and she was like, what is this? <laughs> Cause it had the big puppy sleeves and the big skirt and everything. And I was like, Oh, that was all the rage. That was all the wedding get dresses. That was all the ball gowns based on what she had worn. And, and then like with Megan and that super simple minimalist, wow. you know, exquisitely perfect dress that, um, you know, was designed for her by Claire that started a whole trend in wedding dresses, you know, for the next few years. So yes, they definitely affect, it definitely affects what people wear. It might not be a certain belt that flashes out and then everybody starts making that same belt. That seems almost like a more of an American thing, but I think that most definitely people emulate them, especially Kate, because I feel like she dresses like a princess. Yeah. And she, and well, she has more opportunities to write because she's going to these state dinners where she gets to put on. She will be queen. Right. Exactly. Yeah. She will be queen. And something that I didn't mention earlier that I want to mention is that Royals are not allowed to vote. They're not allowed to speak about politics, but very often they speak about politics and issues through their clothes and again i'm thinking back to the baftas and this is a few years ago with kate and she so all everyone wore black all the women wore black for times up do you remember this yes and kate did not wear black because they the royals don't speak out about politics or issues like times up or me too Call that what you will, agree with that or not. That's just the way it is. But Kate didn't wear black, but she wore a very, very, very deep green dress. And it was basically black. Mm -hmm. And so she, through that dress, said, I support Time's Up without Mm -hmm. ever saying a word. 
And the message was totally received. So again, you know, if you're, if you're looking, because if she didn't want to say that she would have worn like pink or red, but she didn't. And the fact that she didn't said, okay, I know that in my position, in my role, I can't outright say I support time's up again, whether you agree or disagree with that is another podcast, but she did what she could to Mm -hmm. make it clear how she felt. And she didn't say a single word. Right. The power of dress. No, I'm telling you, it's immense. I know, because I guess I'm thinking like compared to Amanda Gorman, what she wore to the inauguration. And then all of a sudden the red headband is like Mm -hmm. search on Google. So that's why I was saying, I feel like it's more like brand awareness and sales versus like setting. Okay. Everybody's now wearing headbands. Yeah. Yeah. And you know who else looks really good in a headband and who, well, first of all, who does not look good in a headband is me, despite my multiple, (laughs) but who does look good in a headband is Kate. And I keep trying to replicate that and I can't do it. And it makes me so sad because she looks great in a headband too. And I I don't know if it's my, my head shape or my, I have so much hair. I don't know. It doesn't work for me, but, um, she looks great in a headband too. And something else I forgot to mention is I I think often, you know, when did this kind of start, right? Like when did fashion diplomacy start? And and the truth is it's been around forever, but Mm -hmm. it really started in the modern era with Jackie Kennedy. And, you know, if you remember, Jackie Kennedy was the first first lady to really have a television presence. Her husband was the first to have that televised debate with Richard Nixon. And I've read so many times that that's what sent him over the edge. And that very close election was that people could see JFK and how magnanimous he was, how handsome he was. And, and that, and that helped in his election bid. Well, Jackie was the first first lady that could use the medium of television to her advantage and never before had a first lady been seen in this way and had a first lady's fashion been studied like this. And so really, I think of Jackie, at least in America, as the turning point of when fashion diplomacy became, 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 excuse me, I can't speak something that we studied like this. And then of course, first ladies through the years have carried this on. Nancy Reagan was so into fashion, Michelle Obama, we've mentioned Melania Trump. I mean, my gosh, a former model, right? Wearing Dolce and Gabbana, of course, an Italian brand when she met with the Pope at the Vatican or Dior mm-hmm. for her first visit, visit to Paris, of course, a French house and um, wearing that Jackie Kennedy-esque powder blue dress to her husband's inauguration in 2017, which sent the message to me and many others that she hoped to be like Jackie Kennedy, classy, dignified, and then now Dr. Biden. And so it just has has been around forever. But really, in the modern era, I'd say Jackie Kennedy was one of the first to really use fashion as as power. Mm-hmm. I agree with you. And even all the way back to like, um, Queen Elizabeth, the, the, the queen that wore all the white powder uh-huh. you know, to cover up her scars from uh, smallpox, but also yep. to always remain young and so that she looked strong and, and capable instead of someone who had been scarred like that, yeah. which was really weird because that ended up kind of slowly poisoning her. That white, I didn't know that. Yeah, the white cake makeup. So, but anyway, 
people, you know, that's makeup is, it's, it's very similar, you know, makeup and nail polish and jewelry, all of that, the whole, the complete look like what you were talking about earlier. Yeah. And we can't forget about jewelry. Kate uses jewelry right. to send messages all the time. Um, tiaras, hats, all of it. It's, it's all a part of the story. And if your listeners don't take anything else away from what we're talking about, I just want them, and if they listen to your podcast, they already know this, right? I mean, I'm a longtime listener too. So I know that you've said this before, but fashion is power and we all have it in our hands every morning when we wake up and put clothes on our body to tell our narrative and tell our story through fashion. There's so many people that think that's frivolous and that's silly, but the truth is we all have to wear clothes and we all have a choice on what, what we put on our body and what that says about us. And as long as we are a society that wears clothes, which I hope we will be forever, right? <laughs> then, then we have the power to tell our own personal story through fashion. And I think that that, again, that is something we all can do, not just the Kates of the world or the Dr. Joe Biden's of the world. Right. And it even goes deeper than fashion. I mean, it goes back to, you know, Cleopatra. And when people adorned themselves, they might be adorning the ceremonies that they go, you know, before battle, what they, what they put on their faces and the jewelry they put on and the armor and, and then these crowns, what it means for the person wearing it, as well as what it's sig- signaling to other people. The history of a personal adornment is really, you know, fascinating, I think. I, I think so, too. So do we think Charles will help or hurt the reputation of the royals if and when he takes the throne? I was talking with the two of you before we started recording and saying, you know, I remember the well, very little of the 80s. I was born in 1986, but in the 90s when the Charles and Camilla affair was coming out and how the crown is quote unquote exposed this. And I was, and I'm like, well, this ha- this happened 30 years ago. Why is everyone so mad about <laughs> it now? But um, I have, I mean, I have no doubt he's taking the throne, right? He has mm-hmm. been in a 73 year apprenticeship. Um, mm-hmm. he, he's, going to t- he's going to take the job. Um, no one will ever be the queen. But I think he will do the best he can for as long as he can. And from a professional standpoint, he is more than ready. From a personal standpoint, I get the hang up. I was raised team Diana, Mm -hmm. but we have to accept it. He is the heir. He is ready for this job. Mm -hmm. He is married to Camilla. He's been married to her for 16 years. She will be Mm -hmm. queen consort. It is what it is. Let the man do the best he can. (laughs) I, I think that... At this point, it's a moot point. He's, it's mm-hmm. going to happen. Um, the queen is 95. I certainly don't want her reign to end, but right. she's 95. We don't live forever. I hope that he only helps the family move forward. I hope mm-hmm. that he continues to modernize it. It must be hard to become king or queen when you're mourning your, your parent at the same time. I've always found that to be so cruel that the moment that you wait your whole life for hinges on the death of your parents. Oh my gosh. So right. You know, how, how awful that is. Right. And for the queen that happened when she was 25, which put that in context, Charles is 73 right now. And so he's waited his entire life for this. And I know that he is ready to serve, but again, it hinges on the loss Mm -hmm. of his mom. Who can be really excited for that? It's a right. very strange dichotomy. 
It is. And then the, the pressure to live up to that too, because she's so beloved. Well, I don't think, I think he needs to absolve himself of the pressure to ever try to live up to that. He never will. He never right, will. Right. Simply no because he'll never have the time, right? Because right. he's been on the throne for almost 70 years right. and he will never be able to do that. I mean, if he takes the throne today, which of course I hope doesn't happen, he's 73. So he might have 20 years, maybe 25. Right. He'll right. never be able to have that just simply because he'll, he, he won't. And There's so no he should right. let that, he no, should let that go point. right now. There will only be one Queen Elizabeth right. II. How did you form this interest that you have and have had since a young girl in the British monarchy? Mom, if you're listening, which I know you are, because mom is my <laughs> biggest fan. She says, please stop mentioning me on podcast, <laughs> but um, she's very private. But I mean, it's, it's such a huge part of my story because my mom was such a diehard Diana fan. And I, from as long as I can remember, loved her too and mm -hmm. followed her fashion and was just so invested in her life and William was born in 1982 Harry in 84 and me in 86 so I feel like I grew up with the boys and I was right. madly in love with William as a child and dreamt <laughs> of being the American princess which someone else got with the with another brother but um <laughs> such is life right and so um that it's just it has truly been a from birth obsession for me mm -hmm. that's wonderful story sorry mom she she literally said you've got to stop talking about me on these shows <laughs> but it's, it's the truth it's just it's yes. just it's just the truth that the royals have um, been something that's always connected us. And I'm sure as right. a kid, she never could have imagined that I would one day be writing about this in Vogue and Vanity right. Fair and all these places. And, um, and she looks at me all the it's time the and she says, I'm so glad that I loved Princess Diana <laughs> because look, at, look at, she's provided me a career. So it's wild. It is wild. It's wonderful. And it's we love hearing other mother-daughter stories, most definitely. Yes. My mom is my best friend, just like the two of you. But I think I told you all offline that I don't, I love my mother. I don't know if I could work with her. So God bless both <laughs> of you. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's an undertaking that I respect. Oh, well, y'all have similar interests, but mom and I are just, we're just obsessed with the same things. We're very close and it it is easy and difficult <laughs> simultaneously. Uh -huh. No one knows me better. And that's the best right. thing ever. And the worst thing that's ever right. all at the same time. <laughs> Do you think the history and tradition can help the monarchy survive and remain relevant? I do. Yes. Yes. And no, I, I think tradition is beautiful. You know, I'm a Southern woman, just like mm -hmm. the two of you. And I love tradition, but also I realize the need to modernize and adapt right. to modern Excellent. times it's a completely different universe in 2021 yes. than it was when the queen took the throne in 1952 mm -hmm. and so we have to there are some traditions that absolutely should stay and be honored and time honored but there are also you know gosh that's a, again a whole other podcast with the oprah interview right. but so many things that should modern modernize especially mm -hmm. this is a this is a issue obviously close to my heart in the way that women are treated in the family, especially right. women that marry into the family and are not born into the family. So I think kind of, as I said, how Kate straddles the line between 
being regal, but yet also relatable. I think Mm -hmm. the monarchy needs to straddle the line between honoring that history and tradition that's so rich while Mm -hmm. also modernizing and and bringing the monarchy into 2021. Yeah, very good answer. Who is or was your favorite member of the royal family? This answer is going to surprise you because I bet 90% of your listeners have never heard of this member of the royal family. But my favorite member of the family is Prince Edward's wife, Sophie, Countess of Wessex. Edward is the queen's fourth and youngest child. And Sophie is, first of all, she's beautiful. She's fashion Mm -hmm. forward. She's one of the hardest workers in the family. Um, It should be noted that of the queen's four children, Edward and Sophie's marriage is the only first marriage to survive. They've Mm -hmm. been married for 22 years this year. She is the queen's backbone and best friend and has been and always has been such an emotional bedrock of support for the queen and the whole family. And she's one of those people that I aspire to be like, that doesn't covet the spotlight. She doesn't have to be on the front page, Mm -hmm. but she just gets down and does the work and not only does the work, but is really there for everyone in the family. So I love Sophie and I think she's probably also the most underrated Royal. Yeah. And she's so pretty. She's what you think when you think of a, of a princess. And you know what, when she married Edward in 1999, so that was right after Diana died in 1997, she had that same Diana haircut. Do you remember Mm -hmm. this? Mm -hmm. She looked so much like Diana that from certain angles, it looked exactly like Diana and it was eerie almost. And, and, but uh, you know, as time has gone on, the hairstyles have changed and mm-hmm. um, she, she looks like obviously her own person, but my gosh, I mean, just, she is, she is a beautiful woman and not only physically beautiful, but true. Mm-hmm. You can tell she's truly beautiful from the inside out. Mm-hmm. And she has the, that same coloring that Grace Kelly had. Yes, that gorgeous. And that, that I, in my wildest dreams say I have my pale skin has a, my porcelain skin has a purpose. I can't tan. So I just try to, thank you. I just try to say that I have, um, Grace Kelly-esque skin in my wildest dreams, but, um, that's just how I I try to make myself feel better in the summer that I can't get a tan. (laughs) But you do have that peaches and cream, um, Ah, skin. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you, Rachel, for coming on. Oh, my gosh. It's been an honor. You ladies are two ladies I've looked up to for a long time. Love our Birmingham connection and uh, proud to know you. Oh, I love the show, too. Love, love, love the show. Required weekly listening for me. Oh, my goodness. Thank you for saying that. And I think I think our listeners are going to enjoy this episode tremendously. I hope so. I hope so. Oh, yes. And we will put links to Podcast Royal and also What Megan Moore in the show notes. So if y'all want to further this conversation, they are most definitely being had <laughs> on, yes. in audio and online on those in those two places. Yes. And join us at Podcast Royal because I have a co-host. She's incredible. Her name's Jessica. Speaking of Southern women, we met in the Junior League of Birmingham and we have a podcast about the British royal family. So how about that? <laughs> I love that. Both books. The Elizabeth Holmes book is, is recent as well, isn't it? 
Yes, it was last November. So the Elizabeth Holmes book is November of last year. And the Beth Ann Holt book is, I believe, January of this year. Great. Okay, great. Yes, we'll add links to those for sure in the show notes. So thanks all everyone for listening and we will see you next week. Bye, Bye everyone. Thank you for tuning into this episode on the Style That Binds Us podcast. If you like this podcast, make sure to tell a friend and subscribe. You can be a part of growing with us. Also, do you know about our weekly newsletter? You'll get access to exclusive content in our newsletter that we don't post anywhere else. Our newsletter comes out every Tuesday with the exception of the third Thursday of the month for Allison's special Celebrating Life After 40 edition. Head to the bottom of the Style That Binds Us website to subscribe.